Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined, as always, again by the AP Reverend Dr. Anna Pinkney Strait, otherwise known as Anna. <laughs> Paul Scott, you are lovely. I've had um, some coffee this morning, some orange juice. It's Sunday. We are in between services. It is Transfiguration Sunday. Yes, it's a great day. What is that about? Well, transfiguration is when Jesus goes up onto the mountain with just a few disciples, and all of a sudden they look and they're seeing Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. So it's this very um, mystical event, but is intended to confirm that Jesus is in fact the Messiah for people who had any question. If you've watched any Star Wars movies, it's kind of a thing in Star Wars too, where they're always talking to holograms of like Yoda and stuff. Pro- yes. Probably a connection there. Yes. So, and 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 Moses and Elijah are. I tapped the microphone, so I'm going to go back. And Moses and Elijah represent the law, the prophets. So these are huge symbolic um, individuals for Jesus um, to be in conversation with, and it's really significant because just before then, he's told them he's going to die and be raised from the dead, and they don't believe it. So this is, and then and of course, we, then we get the voice of God, and that's a significant thing too. And you said in the sermon, which we've already recorded, and you said you've changed a little bit, but you said that this is where Jesus gets his blue check mark. And I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yes. If you're not familiar, uh, it's sort of a Twitter thing, I guess. Twitter and TikTok. And TikTok, and but you get maybe others. You get what's called verified. You have to jump through some hoops, but it, it, it was meant originally on Twitter to show that it's the real person. So you don't just have a whole bunch of. Um, you know, Barack Obama's, you have the actual one and you know because he's been verified by um, the system or however it works. Correct. So, so this is like a, yes, verified. So this is verified for the people. Yeah. And the one thing I sort of added to the sermon today was the sermon sort of talks about how the disciples didn't really understand. They they believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they did not understand that he was going to die and be risen and that sometimes we don't understand and we don't know in the moment, but it's okay. But I also want to offer the caveat, that doesn't mean that like everything happens for a reason. Um, I, you know, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that just because we don't understand something in the moment, it doesn't mean that God intends bad things to happen to teach us a lesson. Um, but also there is a bigger picture. So I think this is a really great example of that. The, the disciples knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't fully understand what that was going to mean. So God says, that's okay, but listen to him. That's what we so do. So they're on the mountaintop. This is all going down. I looked it up, and um, it's in potentially this mountain maybe is in Israel, mm-hmm. according to Wikipedia. But anyways, yes. um, more importantly is, so did did um, Jesus tell the disciples not to tell anybody? Yes. Okay. And that has caused a lot of conversation, because clearly, eventually, they tell somebody. And he does say, after I'm risen. So that's another little, like, you know, look, what I said is going to happen is going to happen. And maybe, like, don't be talking about this, because you don't really understand it yet. Um, this is something, when when more of the pieces of the puzzle come into place, then you're going to be able to talk about it more. Oh, and Transfiguration, I'm looking at the bulletin. What's up with this artwork on the front? Oh, yeah. So this woman makes icons and and really amazing. And she has a wonderful transfiguration icon that I really loved and was about to put on the bulletin. And I went to her website and she has something she calls glitch transfiguration and where she sort of modifies her original icon. 
And there's a description in the bulletin that I love because it talks about like, there are times we think we have Jesus figured out and we don't. And so this artwork, it's really hard to sort of see what's going on and it's symbolic of what's happening in Transfiguration. So yes, and, I kind of dug that. Yeah, this is Kelly Lattimore mm-hmm. and uh, I'll link to the, her website in the show yeah. notes so we'll get it. Uh, as I'm looking at the, the bulletin then, I'm just looking at stuff coming up. Calvin and Hops, I forgot about that. I remember when <laughs> I read that for the first time. Yeah. That's a uh, men's beer and theology. Yes, um, that's today. which is just sort of a little play. It's it's a cartoon book that you I know that's oh, not your comics? thing. I've never I don't I read know. those. Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin and Hops, but also John Calvin. So it's it's got multiple plays there. Oh, I see what you did there. What's yeah. knit for others? My wife knits. It is this amazing group that meets. What is that? Monday or Tuesday? It says Monday. Mondays. Yep. Yes. Sorry. Um, and they do prayer shawls. They do blankets for babies. They take things to the hospital. So it's it's a group, but it's also a group that's community one for another. And so it's, it does many things, and it's really really lovely. Uh, coming up Tuesday, which would be the twenty first of February. Um, it says Shrove Tuesday Pancake Supper. Yes, because Transfiguration is always the week before Lent starts. And so Shrove Tuesday, because Lent was traditionally a time of fasting, was when you used up all the fats in your house. Um, so you would pancakes, rich foods, sugars, all of that. Um, you use it up. So we're having the youth are doing a pancake supper. And then Ash Wednesday, we're doing a different thing this year. The sanctuary is going to be open from 9 until 5.30. And we have prayer stations. So if an evening service isn't in the cards for you, come by sometime during the day and you can walk through the sanctuary and sort of be led into some Lenten practices. That's great. So yeah, Ash Wednesday, that's 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And then a service, a traditional Ash Wednesday day service with communion at 5 30 excellent well everyone we hope to see you uh, on ash wednesday and uh, if not we will talk to you again next week yay it is such a good day let us pray god our light make us attentive to your word as a lamp shining in a dark place that seeing your truth, we may live faithful lives until that great day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Amen. Our scripture reading for this day, for this Transfiguration Sunday, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kenneth Rosen was digging post holes in Utah, and he did not like it. It was cold, really cold, below freezing cold, hair freezing into icicles cold, and his dinner was waiting for him, also getting cold. Kenneth Rosen didn't like digging holes, particularly digging post holes, but that was what he had been asked to do. Whenever he was outside, his job was to dig holes, to mix cement, and then to place the post in the hole. He was not a fan of this work. He was developing calluses on his hands, and it was hard work, and his previous life in New York City had never required the skill of digging holes and placing posts in them. And it bothered him. It bothered him. He didn't like this work, and he wasn't even getting paid to do it. Point. In fact, his parents were paying for him to have the privilege of digging post holes in the freezing cold. This story might make a little more sense if you know that Kenneth Rosen was at a drug rehabilitation center at the time, and it was not the first time he had been in rehab at the young age of 17. Now, this wasn't the only thing he did at this center. Digging post holes wasn't all that he did. There was therapy, there was cooking and cleaning his cabin, and there was also inside work to be done, which would allow Kenneth to stay inside, which was preferable to him to the outside temperatures, except that the main inside work he could do was training horses inside an enclosure. And Kenneth had never been around horses in his New York City childhood, and he was scared of them. So he spent much of his time in Utah trying to choose between work he did not want to do and issues surrounding fear that he did not want to face. And that's exactly why he was there. Kenneth wrote, I was into drugs and disregarding authority figures, and the ranch sought to use equine therapy combined with working therapy to teach teenagers like me how to manage their anger and anxiety and depression and unhealthy impulses. Now, Kenneth Rosen wrote that about his experience, but that is not what he wrote at the time. He waited until many, many years later to write about it. And when he did, he made this point. He did not understand it at the time. He did not understand it while it was happening, but that work he was doing in Utah was going to reap massive rewards in his life, just not in the moment. It would all be later that the pieces would come together and he would figure out all that he was learning in those times about how to leave unhealthy patterns behind and choose healthier ones for his future. But he didn't fully put it all together until he was back in the city, until he'd grown up and become an author and a reporter for major magazines and newspapers. It was only then that he really understood the lessons he'd been learning when he did not understand them. He said of his teacher, he was trying to teach us how to face the obstacles in our lives back home. Learning to do things we didn't want to do would be more beneficial to us than we could currently imagine. And as it turns out, my teacher was right. The payday came later when I left the program. I was now equipped with the knowledge and with the right set of tools and the right preparation 
that it was possible to set a goal and then to reach it, one post hole at a time. I learned that if I was to have a good cattle drive, free of worries and stumbles, that the extra work I put in beforehand would save me time and sweat on the trail. Now, I've been thinking about Rosen's article lately because I suspect that the disciples on that mountain with Jesus might have been a little bit like him. Jesus was teaching them, was doing his best to teach them, but in the moment, they did not understand what Jesus was trying to tell them, how what he was teaching them was going to be helpful. They weren't even sure they believed what he was teaching because they were pretty sure they already knew everything. They already knew what it meant to have the Messiah in their midst, what it meant to be following the Messiah, the Son of God. Just a few verses before the transfiguration, this event where Jesus metamorphosizes into Elijah and Moses, as well as himself, Jesus tells the disciples that he will die and will be raised on the third day. And when he does, the disciples cannot hear it. They refuse to hear it. In fact, they reject it. They will have none of it. Because if they know something about Jesus, if they know anything about Messiahs, and they do believe that Jesus is the Messiah for whom they have been waiting and searching, what they know is that Messiahs do not leave early. They do not die. Messiahs, they were confident, escaped death, sometimes in miraculous ways like David did from King Saul. What they knew was that Messiahs, that gifted, chosen people of God, lived full lives, even when they drifted away at times, like Moses, who we know was 120 years old and we're told was spry for his age. We know that God's chosen people beat the odds, like Ruth and Naomi, the forebears of Jesus, who left a land of famine and found a new way in an old place. And later, Jesus was in their line. The disciples knew that's what God's people did. That's what God's chosen people have happened. And the one thing they knew Messiahs didn't do was die early. And this was more true for Jesus than anyone else they knew. So they weren't hearing what Jesus had to teach them. And so when Jesus tells them he is going to die, they're wondering, maybe we got it wrong. If this is the story this man is telling, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah after all. And so Jesus takes them on the mountaintop to remove all doubt, to have something happen, a supernatural event, something that defies understanding. Moses and Elijah and the voice of God appears with them. The symbols of the law and the prophets all in one place with Jesus. It is like being verified. Verified on Twitter or TikTok, having that little blue check by his name, Jesus, the Messiah. That's what this event does. It says, yes, I am the one. Or a degree that adds letters behind his name or an award that lends credibility. This is the event that puts it all into place and says, yes, I am the Son of God. What happens in this moment is so significant that some scholars believe this is the moment when Jesus actually becomes the Messiah, when he recognizes and embraces his divine nature as well as his human one. Now, this story of transfiguration is told in Matthew and Mark and Luke. 
and it's one of the earliest festivals celebrated in this church. Its roots, the roots of the Transfiguration Festival, go back to the fourth century and is a celebration that carries on to this day. Transfiguration Sunday that leads us into Lent, this time in the wilderness, which leads us to Holy Week and then to Easter. Now before the Transfiguration, the disciples could not let go. They could not let go of what they thought was going to happen. They could not let go of what they wanted to happen. And their refusal to let go of their own expectations was getting in the way of what God had in store for them. It was getting in the way of what God had in store for them, what God was envisioning. And in this moment, God tells them, do not hold on. Don't look back. Listen to Jesus. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Trust the words, trust the actions of my son, even when you understand them and especially when you don't. Let go of what you think is supposed to happen and instead listen to what Jesus has to say because it is the good news unfolding right before you. Listen to him. It is such a miraculous moment that it's not at all surprising that the disciples want to stay there. When I'm on a mountaintop, I'm not usually in a rush to leave that view, to leave that sense of spectacle behind me. But God didn't ask them to stay. God asked them to listen. And Jesus is not going to stay in that place. Jesus is moving forward. Jesus is leaving the mountaintop and going where ministry is happening, to the villages and the roadways and the tables where people are gathered. Jesus isn't staying in an isolated mountaintop. He's going to where there are needs. And that's the same for us. We're not being asked to stay. We're not being asked to be complacent. We're being asked to go, to go to the places where there are needs, where there are hungers, where people are. And that doesn't happen if we stay isolated in a dwelling on a mountaintop. And Peter and James and John, they can't stay there. They must go, even though being on top of that mountain, seeing what they have seen must have been sweeter than manna or drinking water from a rock. How do we learn? How do we learn to want God's will more than our own will? Some 300 years ago, German mystic Angelus Silesius wrote these words, God whose love and joy are present everywhere cannot come to visit you unless you are not there. The transfiguration, Matthew tells us, happens six days after Jesus tells them they must lose their lives in order to save them. And that number of days is significant. It's significant because it's the only time in the Gospels that I've found where something happens in six days. And it tells the disciples something important. It's not over yet. On the sixth day of creation, it's good, but it's not done yet. Moses was in God's presence for six days before he received the word of God. Six in the Bible is the signal that the story is not over yet. Jesus' work is not yet complete, and there is still much to learn, still much we can gather and gain from listening to Jesus. Jesus who told them, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. 
That's what Jesus has told them. That's what Jesus tells us. We have to let go in order to receive. We have to want God's will more than we want our own. And that's when God speaks up on this mountain with a voice so significant, a voice so fierce, a voice so strong that all of the preconceived notions shake loose. The voice of God trying to open up their hands and open up their hearts. Will it do the same for us? Because it's hard letting go. It's hard letting go of a relationship even if it's no longer healthy and cannot return to health. It's hard letting go of prejudice that we've held on to for so long. It's just become assumed and unexamined. It's just a part of the landscape. It's hard letting go of a program that has been wonderful, but has run its course and no longer serves the purpose for which it was created. We have to let go in order to receive. What does God ask of us? What does Jesus tell us? That we don't get to stay in the same place. We don't get to be faithful and hold on tightly to what was. Because if we do, we miss out on what God has in store for us. Listen to him, God tells them, and God tells us. That's our task. And it's also, I believe, our only real hope for life and salvation is to listen to Jesus. Lose yourselves, Jesus tells the disciples, because that's the only way you're going to find your real life, the real image God placed within you. Taming horses, digging post holes. The work God has for us is not always something we're going to understand in the moment. So we're told to listen. We're told to listen and let go and move forward and listen. What do you need to let go of in order for God's vision to have an important place and a place of primacy in your own life? It might be worth noting that God doesn't have the final say in this passage, this selection. Jesus does. And it comes right after God speaks. The disciples are terrified. The work they're being asked to do is hard and they don't understand it. They don't fully grasp what's happening. And Jesus comes over to them and he touches them. And he says, get up and do not be afraid. And they move off the mountain. Friends, I think this is message, the message from God to us. Listen to Jesus. Get up and do not be afraid because it's not yet the seventh day. It's the sixth day and God is not done with us yet. Alleluia. Amen.
Friends, it is not yet the seventh day. It is the sixth day and God is not done with us. So let us listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus, the Son of the God of all creation. Let us be led by the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. Amen.